0: We just started going chapter by chapter through this incredible book that catalogs the early church. Um, Hopefully there's going to be a lot of lessons for us to learn um, as we see just this incredible picture of what the church looks like uh, when they're filled with the Holy Spirit. The first thing I want to do, though, um, a couple years ago, there was an article in the New York Times. It's by this very insightful woman named Leslie Harden. She's a psychotherapist up in New York City. Um, and she minister, she deals with a lot of hurting people up in New York, And what she noticed is, in the past 15 years, the, the people who come to her, their problems have changed dramatically in just 15 years. She said 15 years ago, the typical person came to her, they had problems, and they wanted to fix those problems. They had issues with their self. They had issues with what needed to be improved in themselves, and they sort of needed a self-help project um, to help them. It was self-help but 15 years later she said it's totally different she said now almost all of her patients when they come in they're saying man this person in my life they're the problem they're bringing me down i need you to help me learn how to deal with these problem people in my life i need you to help me learn how to deal with these difficult people and she said in 15 years she noticed how it's, it's totally changed so now the ultimate problem in a lot of people's lives is the people in their life. So we see that the problem is the outside. Now, we know there's a lot of problems out in the world, right? There's a lot, there's a lot of problems. But to so many people, the ultimate problem is the people in your life. And, of course, the solution is to look inward, believe in yourself, and you can fix this. You just got to believe in yourself enough. Immediately, we're in a collision course with historic Christianity. What Christianity teaches, you might remember uh, Martin Luther. He's one of the most influential people in Christian history. He insisted that the human heart is, call, is inward. He said it's bent. So picture like a picture a boomerang, right? You throw it. And what does it always do if you do it right? It comes back. It comes back to you. And what Luther insisted was that the human heart is fundamentally self-centered, There's a lot of problems out there, but the main problem is in here. You're self-centered, he would say. I agree with him. I can be very self-centered. So what we do is we say, I don't know if I'm self-centered or not. So I'm going to live a really nice life. I'm going to be a good moral person. But it comes back to us. It's about us and coming across like we're nice. Or I'm going to go to church and I'm going to do a lot of good stuff but it comes back, and it's about us. He said we're, we're bent, we're fundamentally bent inwards. He said the problem's inside, but the solution, there's this beautiful solution, and it comes from the outside. You see, we have so many problems we want fixed, and the solution comes from the outside, something outside of us, something beautiful, something powerful. So you see the collision course here. Your culture tells you, The problems are out there. And if you just believe and achieve, we'll get this thing figured out. But our king says, the problem is in here. But there's a wonderful solution coming. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 2, we're going to see what this power looks like. We're going chapter by chapter through Acts. It's going to be a lot of fun. Chapter 1, verse 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, we're not going to talk about tongues the whole time here today, though if, you'd want to, if you want to learn more about it, uh, check out a blog post we just did. There's a lot of interesting information on the gift of tongues. We're actually going to talk to what the gift of tongues is even pointing to, uh, which is the person of Jesus. So notice right here, check it out, in verse 2, you'll see that the Spirit came like fire. And what, what I want to do is just kind of trace this concept, this image of fire, right? You might remember Moses in the Old Testament. Several times he was interacting with God, and God manifested himself to Moses through fire, Right. You might remember as he was leading God's people through the wilderness, he was following the, the fire of God in the clouds, the presence of God, the mysterious, glorious, actual presence of God. You might remember from Sunday school, he actually interacted with God through a burning bush. God chose to lower himself and manifest through a bush. I wonder what that would have been like. <laughs> have you ever like put yourself in that situation? Like, what do you do? Do you, do you believe it? Like, and then, of course, he goes to the top of the mountain on behalf of God's people. He interacts, and he's literally face-to-face with God, and God is manifest in fire, through fire. They call it the Shekinah glory of God, the glorious presence of God. Now, some of you are like, huh, that's nice, but what about me? What about me? What about me, man? What about me, man? Something amazing is happening here in this text. <laughs> we can't miss it. <laughs> We can't miss it. Now, fire is coming upon anyone who's called upon the name of Jesus. The presence of God now lives inside anyone who believes in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? No longer is it just for Moses and the hotshots, or the bush or the cloud, or even the mountain. Now the normal, typical person who believes in Jesus has the fire of God living inside of them. One of my friends put it like this. You're a burning bush of God. You're a burning bush of God. If you believe in him. Now, I get it though, right? We're in the modern world. We're in the modern world, man. We got things like science. We got things like technology. I'm a college minister, so I love things like that. Science and technology. But, Maybe we forget the culture that God entered in here. There were many, many gods in that culture. The life expectancy was low. People were sick. People were dying at a young age. If God can enter that culture, why do we have a hard time believing he can squeeze himself into our Google calendars? Man, sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes um, I see this gap between what I see in the book of Acts and what I see in the modern world, and it burdens me, because it's like we don't, we don't believe that that same thing can happen now. We're too modern, man. We're too smart, bro. I don't know. I don't know about that. But the Holy Spirit's who we're talking about here. Don't we want to know about, more about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, um, just in a simple way, I want to uh, explain, he's God. He's God. And he comes to dwell in us. But what does the Holy Spirit do? What does he do? Here's a precious truth. What the Holy Spirit does, you might remember Jesus when he was getting baptized. Do you remember that? The Spirit of God comes upon Jesus, and he hears his Father in heaven saying, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And that's what happened to Jesus at his baptism. You might say, Well, that was Jesus, man. What about now? What about me? Paul tells us something amazing. He says that anyone who believes in Jesus, they have the Holy Spirit living inside of him. And what the Holy Spirit does is he reminds you and me that we are deeply cherished by God. How many of you struggle with that? Does God love me? Do I even love God? I mean, like, does he kind of like put up with me, sort <clears> of? <throat> the Holy Spirit comes. And he assures you that God loves you and he delights in you and he cherishes you. Um, Just maybe an illustration. Um, There's an old pastor about 300 years ago named Thomas Goodwin. He lived in Britain. And um, (laughs) he told the story of a father and a son. Man, they're just walking down the street. They're having a good old time. Just talking, enjoying one another. And then... Just out of the blue, the father swoops in, holds his son tight, hugs him, and says, son, I love you. I love you so much. And of course, the son says, I love you too, Dad. You're amazing, right? Do you see what's happening here? Did the father love the son any less when they were just chilling, walking? No. But experientially, Didn't the son sense his father's love for him more when he's being hugged, when he's being told and assured? That's what the Holy Spirit does for you and me. He takes our head knowledge, and he makes it fiery real to our hearts. How many of you need the Holy Spirit? I know I do. (laughs) I need it pretty bad. This Holy Spirit has come to dwell in believers. We go with me to chapter uh, to, to <clears throat> verse fourteen. We're going to see what happens next when the Holy Spirit is interacting with a group of people. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Peter's pretty bold. Peter says, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. You see, what's going on here is we think Pentecost was just something that happened that it had never been spoken before. Pentecost was actually a holiday that had been celebrated by the Jews for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's an amazing scene happening. Jews from all over have gathered into Jerusalem, and we have this scene where Jesus' disciples are gathered in a room, right? It's an amazing scene Jesus had told them We might remember to, to wait He said to wait For power will come And so they're all chilling in the room They're praying They're probably getting a little bit antsy And then it comes The power comes The Holy Spirit comes Right And apparently at some point They move from the room To the kind of the festival happening in public Because Peter starts preaching Why? How? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's full of the Holy Spirit. and Of course, the people are like, man, what are you doing? Man, are you drunk? It's 9 o'clock in the morning. And Peter's like, oh, no. Oh, no, I'm not drunk. And then we see, if you want to go back and look, we see him speaking in this language that any Jew of the day would be able to understand. He quotes a lot of Scripture. He actually talks a lot from the prophet of Joel. Um, And it's amazing, it should give us great confidence because the the biblical storyline, it's harmonious and it makes sense and we don't have to worry that God's just kind of messing up here and there. You see this amazing balance between the Old and the New Testament. Peter goes on, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivering him up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death. He's talking to Jews. He's talking to Jews, man. They think they, a lot of them at least, they, they think they get what's going on, but apparently they don't. You see, when you have the Holy Spirit, when I have the Holy Spirit, you love preaching. Now, I'm not talking like everyone's a preacher and they're just all like Peter and they're, you know, like preaching at night in the morning to anyone and everyone. But here's what I am saying. If you have the Holy Spirit, you love hearing about Jesus. This outward power of the Holy Spirit creates this inner wonder in your heart. You can't stop thinking about Jesus. You want to hear about Jesus all the time. It's your food. He's your fuel. And apparently God has created this amazing way of of molding us and shaping us through preaching. And sometimes, I'm not going to lie, sometimes I sit there and I'm like, it really is amazing When preaching is happening and people are listening. You know what I mean? We live in this culture where I'm in charge. I can do what I want, when I want. No one can tell me what to do. But God's designed this this beautiful thing where we sit and we listen. About what? About Jesus, who we love more than anything. I'm wondering if any of you here today, I'm wondering if you don't love preaching. It's popular in our culture. After all, I'm in charge. But... You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You like preaching. You enjoy it. It gives you life. Hmm. Well, there's another thing, though. Preaching is full of the fire of God, the warm, welcoming, attractive, inviting presence of God. We love hearing about God because God is present in it. But sometimes we get naive. We don't realize that preaching is not only attractive in the very way we grow, it's also offensive. We think we can design this perfect way of communicating so that no one will get offended. But I don't know if that's possible. I just don't know if that's possible. Now, what I'm not saying is you need to go around looking to be offensive. That's not what I'm saying. But simply put, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, is that um, God is awesome. <laughs> he is awesome. And we are not. We've gone our own way. We're, we're delusional. We're rebellious. We're self-centered. And, and God has provided a way out for us. He clears the way so we can know him. That, that's how you could describe the good news, the good news of what Jesus has done to make us, in right relationship with God. So, we could go on and on about that, about preaching, and look to Peter as an amazing example of preaching. But what I want to do now is, I want to take us to verses 42 through 45. So what the Holy Spirit does is, he fills believers, he raises up men to preach the good news of Jesus, And that preaching literally creates new communities. It creates new life. That's one evidence that preaching is working. It creates life and community. Spirit-filled community. Real life. Man, this is real life. Together, how many of you, when you're thinking and you're dreaming about what your Christian life could look like, surely it includes deep relationships with with other believers who share the same affection as you. This is what the Spirit does. He creates community, real life together. But it's not only life together, it's life together in the presence of God. He has filled us and he dwells in us, he lives in us. And it's because of that that we're drawn to one another. We actually sense the presence of God in each other. We're not God, but we sense that he is near and dear. Does that make sense? Real life in the presence of God. (laughs) It's amazing. But sometimes we confuse it, you know. I do. We only get one or the other, you know. We either get life together or in the presence of God. Are you that person who, you know, you... You're always in the presence of God, right? You're, you're, you pray to him, you enjoy him, you have alone time with him, you're spiritual. But there's not really a deep community in your life. You, talk all, you can talk all day about how you're in the presence of God, but you've forgotten that God puts you in real life together. In other words, you're not really in the presence of God if you're not around believers of God. That's how he manifests himself to the world. But I'm not going to lie. What if what if we what if we swing the other way there? What if we we're, we emphasize real life together, real life, man, but we forget that it's in the presence of God. How many of you you don't really want God to be in your midst? You don't really want God to be in there, right? It's kind of a scary thing. Do we want the supernatural presence of God? I don't know. What's amazing is we, our conviction is that we do need to be doing life together in the presence of God. We see in verses 42 to 45 here, we see evidence of true community, true fellowship. You see them breaking bread. You see them praying together. We see them sacrificing for each other, man. How attractive is that? We have so many superficial relationships in our life they're good they're important but they never get to the spiritual level and we see this this life together and we know that christians loving one another it, it's like the fire of god of god warms and woos people it's attractive people want to be a part of that so it's not only a thing we do with each other it's actually something that our friends and family there they're attracted to. But at the same time, you know how we work. We learn, we learn how to mess up everything. <laughs> We're like preaching, preaching, preaching. Preaching, that will offend people. But not community. Not life together. That won't offend anybody. After all look I mean look here I mean <laughs> it's, it's it's going so well Look at everything happening here they're praying they're breaking bread they're loving each other they're sacrificing for each other What if we what if we're missing something though what if we forget of all the the pain that's happening here the turmoil the sweat the tears We think this is some sort of emotionally easy environment that's psychologically soothing and if I can just arrange everything in my life to where I got the perfect community, then everything will be fine if I can just kind of get the right technique down with with my community. What what I want to share for a minute is that spirit-filled community. This is what we're talking about today, the Holy Spirit coming to dwell in us. The Holy Spirit... Yes, he creates an attractive community, but there's also things about it that are offensive and they're offending you today and it offends me. And there's there's work to be done. But some of you say, no, 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 no. You don't get it, man. You don't get it. You see, my life shows Christ. My life, man. I just live my life and that shows Christ to the world. And that's very true. That's a very true statement. Our life does show Christ to the world. But if you're truly living a communal life, there's going to be offensive aspects to that. And some of you are like, when are you going to tow it? I'm trying to really drive this home because we've just started the book of Acts and we're going to see all the amazing things that God does through his church. But we we need a healthy understanding that when the church is being the church filled with the Spirit, preaching the gospel, doing community together, there's aspects of it that are attractive. There's aspects of it that are offensive. Don't we see this all throughout the book? We, We can't just come up with the right equation and then everything will just be fine, okay? There's something deeper here. I guess... I don't know. I guess what I'm doing is I'm I'm just trying to show that the Holy Spirit He does stuff. I know that's so vague, but He does stuff. He makes the things of God real to us, and personally, I haven't, I haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit my whole life. I haven't believed in Jesus. I've only been a Christian for uh, six years, um, And immediately, when God just shattered my heart, and I caught a glimpse of Him, and I caught a glimpse of my sin, and I realized how naked I was, um, I I trusted in Jesus, and um, and ever since then, I have been preaching the gospel. At first, I moved to Haiti right away, and that's where I first started preaching the gospel. But um, I think about how I haven't always been doing this. You know what I'm saying? I, I wasn't born with the Holy Spirit. Like, none of us were born with the Holy Spirit. There's some sort of uh, life transformation that has to happen, a power that comes to you from the outside. It's nothing we can control. Um, that was a little bit of a <laughs> back to the community part. I wanted to share with you a little bit about what's happened with me. You see, community, though, when we're, if you can put this back up here, I just kind of want to drive this home. When we're doing life together and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, we want to show Christ to one another, um, it hurts. (laughs) It hurts. It involves pain, it involves suffering. I plead with the college students I lead. Man, you got to start sacrificing now, man. You got it easy. And the older, wiser men pour that into me. Man, you got it easy. Serving people, doing this, it hurts. But isn't it worth it? One of my mentors used to share with me, he's, <laughs> he used to say, Wes, there is no glory apart from suffering. Right We tend to think that a spirit-filled life equals, you, know, just kind of this life where everything's working and God's doing mighty things, and, and I, I just it's so awesome. And, it, and he is doing amazing things, and it is awesome, but we forget that the means through which he does that is through his people's suffering and the power of the Holy Spirit. put another way, they are participating in the suffering of Christ. And what happens is, the world sees these people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and they're sacrificing. And they see the fire. They see the, 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 the warm presence of God, and it's something that they got to check out, man. We got to check this out. And I just want to encourage us for a minute because um, Legacy Church, we're a people. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. I've I've been here, man, since day one, or not day one, but day four, <laughs> in the on the couch. and I've witnessed the Spirit of God build this thing. And obviously, we're we're not huge now, but actually, historically, and compared to the broader church around the world, we're actually a huge church, believe it or not, but but that's not the point. But we're a Spirit-filled church, and it's a a deep conviction of of ours. And a lot of people like that. It always encourages me when I hear people say, man, I I sense the Spirit of God here. They're saying, I I sense the presence of God. It's warm. It's something I want to be around. It's real. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And yet, a lot of people think we're stupid. Did y'all know that? A lot of the world, when they see Christians worshiping God together and loving one another, They don't want anything to do with that. I've gotten to see both. Here's what I'm pleading with us. I'm pleading. I'm literally begging us. I'm I'm begging. I'm about to get on my knees, really. But um, when we're living the spirit-filled life, a lot of people are attracted to it. But some people, they're not. And we can't let that just completely tear us apart. Of course, we never want that to happen. But you see what I'm saying? if we want this gap to shrink between what we see here in the text and what we're experiencing now, we need to have people who are willing to to get real and to say, well, it's not always going to look as pretty as I want it to. This is a hard lesson I've had to learn, man. I had it all in my mind that if we're doing this thing right, just everyone's, <laughs> everything's just going to be perfect. And in Acts 2, 42 to45, and we'll have this like whiteboard here on the stage, right, on Sundays, and it'll say, 187 days since the last conflict." <laughs> you know, like at the factory that was a bad joke, sorry. Um, but <clears throat> but I, I realized, I was borderline delusional, and I still, if I'm not careful, I'm still like that. What I'm doing is I'm just asking us, let's be realistic, man. Let's be realistic. But continuing my little <laughs> plead. But honestly, I do. Get, I get worried. I get really worried. I get worried about me. I get worried about us. I get worried about Knoxville. I get worried about the whole world. Because we're surprised by this relationship between the Holy Spirit filling you and your suffering on behalf of Jesus. It burdens me. We just don't, we don't get it. I think it's because we live in a culture that it's very therapeutic. It's very therapeutic, and we think if we're doing things right, it's going to feel good. Um, but, it, but it burdens me. And we're surprised by suffering. What, is that, what if that's the very means by which the Holy Spirit's really going to show Jesus? Now, what I'm not saying, listen, I know some of you are like, are you saying I need to go around looking for suffering? No, not at all. But sacrifice, by definition, involves suffering, it hurts. Sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm like, woe to me. (laughs) Woe to me. God, God, help me. Help me. See this way you've designed life in the spirit where everything is about Jesus, no matter the cost. You know what the solution is, though? It's not just to try harder. I know that. We'll go crazy if we do that. It's not to look inside of us and believe in ourselves more, you know, like like the article said, it's we got to see the new man on the mountain. Moses is not on top of the mountain anymore. Jesus. Jesus is ruling and reigning on top of the mountain. He went down into the gutters, the disgusting aspects of earth where we are. And and he came down. And he rescued us. And um, he didn't just rescue us, though. He took us to the top of the mountain to rule and to reign with him. He did this for us. And... and uh, but it gets better. <laughs> it gets better than that. Because he says... There's this in-between time going on between when I go into heaven and when I come back. And in that period of time, I'm going to fill you with the Spirit, and I'm going to send you back down the mountain. All right, are we getting this? Check it out. Look here. I'm going to send you back down the mountain. I'm going to send you back into the valley, and you're going to be my burning bush, and you're going to represent me to the world and normal everyday life. Our king uses us to do that seems too good to be true. Jesus' people have that Holy Spirit. You have that Holy Spirit legacy. I have that Holy Spirit. At the end of the Bible and the book of Revelation, uh, the very last chapter, there's a, you see this picture of, of Jesus. He's ruling and reigning on his throne, and he's saying... Together with the Spirit of God, he's saying, Come. Come to me. Come. Some of us we have this deep sense. We we have this deep sense. What do I need to do? I I get it. I I got this head knowledge of what you're saying, but come on, what do I need to do? How do I how do I get right? We're in different spots, right? We're in different spots in life. But it's the same solution. All, all of us who are wondering, what do I need to do now? We, we turn, we turn from our self-centeredness and we trust in Jesus as our freedom. He's your maker. He's my maker and he's come for you. He's come for us. Some of you are walking with a clean heart and a good conscience. You're walking in the power of the Spirit. Let's come together and worship God. Let's do that together. Some of you, you have a head knowledge of God, but you're not really walking in the Spirit. Your heart's hard. The last thing you really need right now is assurance. <laughs> it's, you're in danger, friend. But guess what? Your king is still saying, come. Come to me. Come. And some of us, man, we're, we're hurting. We don't, we don't know what to do or what to think. We don't know what, what turning and trusting in God looks like. We feel paralyzed. We, don't, we literally don't know what to do. Those of us who are hurting. God is honored to rescue those of us who are hurting. We call out to him and he delivers us. And I don't want that to be some religious statement that goes in one ear and out the other. The maker of you, he will deliver you if you call out to him for help. And he'll also put people in your path. I've experienced that personally. He'll put the church, the spirit-filled church around you, the spirit-filled community around you when you're hurting. We're in the battle with you. We're messed up too. It's not like there's some who get it and some who don't. But those of you who are hurting, come. Listen to the Spirit and Jesus and Revelation and come. And as we wrap up here, some of us are far from God. We don't know God. And we're really not that interested in him. I need more scientific evidence. I need more proof. I need more, um, I need to see him. I need, I need to see him, man. As soon as that happens, then I'll believe. <clears throat> God says that uh, the main way you're going to see him, this side of heaven, it's not through um, miraculous, you know, signs necessarily, though that certainly can. He says one of the main ways you're going to see him is through his people. Who are filled with the Holy Spirit you see them preaching the gospel you see them loving one another he said that's the sweet spot for evidence and if you think about it it's actually better than a miracle every now and then you know what I'm saying like there's there's billions of Christians and if they're loving one another and preaching the gospel that's a pretty powerful testimony uh, but I want to I want to share this with you those of you here who who are far from God first of all welcome and that's, that's exactly what God's saying. He's saying the same thing. He's saying, come, come to me. I'm so excited to know you. Sure, you don't like me. You actually kind of hate me. But come to me. I'm excited to get to know you. He can't wait. He can't wait just to show you more and more of himself. We're all sinners. All of us need to come and worship him. Last thing I'm going to do here, <clears throat> I want to share with you this uh, hymn. It's a hymn that's uh, been near to me, and it's by an old um, pastor. <laughs> I don't know why. I like British pastors from 300 years ago. I don't know why. Um, his name's Joseph Hart. <clears throat> I'm going to read you these lyrics. Come, and it's on the board. Come, you sinners, poor and wretched. Weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you. Full of pity, joined with power. He is able, he is able. He is willing, doubt no more. Come, ye needy, come and welcome. God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance. Every grace that brings you nigh. Without money, without money, come to Jesus Christ and buy. Come, ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you wait until you're better, you'll never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous, sinners Jesus came to call. Let not your conscience make you linger, friend, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. This He gives you, this he gives you, Tis the spirit's rising beam. Lo, the incarnate God ascended, pleads the merit of His blood. Venture on him, venture holy, let no other trust intrude. None but Jesus, none but Jesus, can do helpless sinners good. This is what the Spirit wants from eternity path. He wants sinners like us to come and worship God together. Will you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name. We are so thankful that you're real and that you're here and that you reveal yourself to us in your word. In the power of the Spirit, we can understand this word and we can be transformed. Um, We're so thankful that you've come for us, that you're so patient with us and tender. We ask that uh, you would be with us here as we transition into worshiping you together actively. And uh, we look forward to the day when we'll be on top of the mountain with you, ruling and reigning. In your name, amen.